Welcome to Philosophy on the Fringes, a podcast that explores the philosophical dimensions of the strange and the mundane. We're your hosts, Megan Fritz and Frank Cabrera. On today's episode, we're talking about football. What are the metaphysical identity conditions for sports teams? What makes a rule a good rule? And does the extreme injury risk of football make it America's most immoral pastime? Welcome back to Philosophy on the Fringes. It has been a minute, more than a minute, like two months, right, Frank? Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, Do you want to explain why that is? Yeah, so we've been on an unplanned hiatus um, for the last couple of months, and I guess there's been a couple reasons for that. We haven't really made this public uh, in any way, our family knows, but because we feel so close and intimate with you, our listeners, we just decided we would let you know why. The primary reason why we have not been recording any episodes for the past couple months is that I am pregnant and I have been just incredibly ill. Very, very sick. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been hard, but we've been managing. Frank has been my nursemaid <laughs> and I have been on the couch pretty much for the last eight weeks. But this week, things are really starting to look up, getting close to the end of the First trimester, you ladies who have had babies out there know what I'm talking about. So, um, and then the other reason that it had that we also haven't had the opportunity to record is that recently our 16 month old has had just decided um, to just see what would happen if she stopped uh, sleeping like completely, like prisoner of war torture style kind of no sleeping. Yeah, that was hard too, but uh, things have improved. On that front as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. Here we are. Here we are finally back with all of you guys again. We are very, very happy to be back to talk about American football. American football. The sport, not the band. Yeah. Although I really like that band, if people know who that band is. They're a great band. If there's a demand for us to have a podcast about the band, I'm sure Frank would be excited yeah, about that too. Definitely. But I'm actually, Frank knows this, um, sad that this is the week that we're recording the episode on football because my team, the Kansas City Chiefs, have recently suffered a really devastating and I I feel free to say embarrassing loss over the weekend. Yeah, it was really hard watching them play. It, it was it was ugly. Um, yeah, there was one point where I think the offensive lineman accidentally pretty much sacked his own quarterback. That yep. was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have said that the reason why the Chiefs lost is that Taylor Swift was not at the game. Some people have thoughts said about that. that? Like, yeah, I mean, as a Chiefs fan first, and admittedly not a Swifty, I don't have anything against her. I just, I'm just nothing her. If yeah, you know what I mean? We're both neutral with respect to Completely Taylor Swift. Neutral, yeah. yeah. But as a Chiefs fan first, I guess like other Chiefs fans, I I tend to find the coverage of that romance a bit over the top. But, you know, if she's doing something that helps them win. It's good for football. I, mean, I, I, I see people in the United Kingdom asking questions about how football works on Twitter. So <laughs> it seems like NFL is benefiting from the Taylor Swift uh, seal of approval. The Taylor Swiftization of, of American yeah, so, football. You know, so great. T- so actually, it's not that bad that we had to wait to record this podcast because football is now even more relevant than it used to be. Reaching new demographics that we it may never have, have reached before. Yeah. So I guess that's a thing. So Frank, uh, we're both football fans. Yeah. 
what would you how did you get into football initially or what do you like about football yeah good uh so i remember pretty vividly the moment i was first into football i I was like nine or ten years old it was during the super bowl i think it was the 1999 or 2000 super bowl it was between the tennessee titans and the st louis rams this is when the quarterback kurt warner was playing for the rams and back when the rams were in st louis yeah a long time ago (laughs) right yeah um, so, and, and the, the Titans lost by one yard. Like I remember seeing this guy it was the last play of the game and he's just one yard short. He's trying to re- have the ball cross the end zone. I don't know. I just felt so bad for him. And I felt so bad for the Titans that I became a Titans fan. I don't know. I guess I just like the underdog. Like, like the, 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 the Rams were like the best team in the NFL by far. I never even heard of the Titans. And I just, I don't know, like something about that guy struggled to, get that ball over the, the line of the end zone and, and score the touchdown, but failing really got me into football. And then after that, you know, I, I was a teenager. I played some video games. Uh, I played Madden a lot in my teen years. But after that, I sort of stopped following football. I sort of stopped following sports. And I guess I'd probably say that I wasn't really into football again until I met you and we started all watching the Chiefs together with you know your family and all of that. So yeah, I'm I, I'm a, I'm in a weird place when it comes to football because I used to play Madden, so like I know a lot about like the stats and the rules and different plays. But that was a long time ago. I remember it all, and I still really like football, and I like I think it's a cool game. But yeah, I'm not like a fan of any particular team really. I like watching games still, but I'm that, that's sort of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So did this was this game is that what inspired you to get your childhood tennessee titans betting yeah that, so we still, we still have, we still have that somewhere <laughs> yeah uh well that's really that's really neat yeah one yard short that's yeah that's uh, a good game i forget the guy's name like dyson or something you know kevin dyson i think was the guy wow yeah he just failed by one yard gosh um yeah, I have been a football fan well so my family's always been a football family mm-hmm. i'll say we've always watched football but we grew up watching college football yeah. because my parents went to Kansas State and they have obviously a football team, a famous college football team, and uh, also very regionally famous rivalries with surrounding schools like Mizzou and KU. So we watched a lot of college football. I didn't really care about it. And to this day, I do not care about college football. We're going to talk about that later. But when I was in college, I don't. It was, I guess it was just like a lark. I was sort of like, I want to learn how football works to, you know, I think, I think a lot of my friends did fantasy football and I was like, well, this would be fun, a fun group activity that I could join. So you read a book about how football works, right? I, Is well, that my correct? My friend gave it to okay. me. Yeah. So my friend Sam was really into football and he was really good at fantasy football and organized the league and everything. And he's like, I have got the perfect book for you. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. I don't remember the name right now, but we will put it. I'll I'll put I will link this book in the football for dummies. It was not football for dummies. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, but, but it was a very helpful book. Shut up. I can't believe that that book series exists. I'm going to read something. I want to read something that that calls me a dummy. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. But uh, but I'll find the book and I'll link it. But anyway, it was really helpful and it really helped me understand like the technicalities and the rules of the game. And what I did afterward was kind of funny because normally I think you become a fan of a team either, you know, because of your family or because um, like maybe, you know, some weird story like yours where you just get like inspired by a team. But I actually just chose a team to be a fan of for the sake of 
having an incentive to watch games and learn more. Yeah, it's like for like Pascalian reasons. Yeah. You like you willed it to be I the did. case. I you, bootstrapped some reasons you, for liking this. You brought it about. But I didn't start with the Chiefs. No. If, if you remember. Packers. It was the Packers. Is that because you were moving to Wisconsin? It was before that. Oh. It was before I knew I was moving to Wisconsin. Weird. Another one of my friends was a big fan of the Packers. And I think that just sort of made it easy for me to be like, all right, you know what? They are a good team. This was back when Aaron Rodgers was, you know, really good. And uh, and they had a really good team. And kind of before he um, changed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But but yeah, but they were a really good team at the time. And I was like, well, this will be a great team to, you know, learn technicalities from and figure out how to watch football. Of course, now everyone who knows anything about me knows that I'm a huge diehard Chiefs fan yeah. before they went to the Super Bowl. But uh, uh, yeah, so so now um, watching football is a true joy of mine, except for the game on Sunday, which I could not even bring myself to look at. I always really like that story about you. I think it's really reflective of your of your personality. You're like, here's a good that I'm not immediately attracted to, but I'm going to bring it about that I appreciate this this good. A lot of people don't really, you know, think that way. They just sort of like, they, they seek out the things they like, mm-hmm. um, but you tried to cultivate a new interest because you trusted other people that it would be good for you. So I think that's a cool story. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I guess, so we're doing a podcast on American football. This is a philosophy podcast. Why are we doing philosophy of football um, do you have thoughts on, I guess, just philosophy of sports in general or football in particular? I guess we should start with whether this is a fringe topic. So, yeah, true. Yeah, so there is a field of study called philosophy of sport. There is a, a journal of philosophy of sport. I even once saw a job advertised where the area of specialization is philosophy of sport. Wow. That was, yeah, one time. Uh, <laughs> so it, it is a field of study. Uh, I do think it's pretty fringe uh, just as a subdiscipline. And you don't often see courses on philosophy of sport mm-hmm. being offered in universities uh, and certainly not philosophy of American football. I did a little research with respect to like what's out there uh, when it comes to uh, philosophy of sport. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of philosophy of American football. Uh, why that might be is a good question. Uh, I think maybe one reason is like pretty much only Americans play American football. Uh, yeah. There was, the, the NFL tried to have a Euro League way back in the day, but that failed. So maybe it's just because it doesn't have worldwide popularity or anything like that. But uh, as as a philosopher, I think uh, I don't do any research in philosophy of sport, but I often use sports as a kind of teaching tool. I think a lot of interesting discussions in ethics, say the ethics of genetic en- enhancement, uh, they, they dovetail quite nicely with standard topics in the philosophy of sport like should performing enhancing drugs be banned and it you know if so why if not why not so whenever i I teach genetic enhancement it's often a nice uh a nice thing to reference students often find that a good analogy a good way to to apply some of this stuff from enhancement so i think that's cool uh I also think philosophy sports just cool because people like sports, right? We always say as academics, we want to make our discipline relevant to the people. Well, you know, 100 million people watch the Super Bowl every year. So I think it would behoove academics, philosophers in particular, to care a little more about sports, try to connect what they're talking about to sports. I think sports is a rich area to draw from, for examples, or to apply Uh, various concepts or principles to, um, and as I hope we will demonstrate today in this uh, episode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing is I think now, you know, intuitively we think of like sports or athletics is really um, separate from, you know, academics, philosophy in particular. Maybe we tend to think of philosophers kind of pale, sickly, 
I don't know. Some of them were. Descartes, Descartes was. But Plato, notably, was a wrestler. So you saw where I was going with this. Yeah. The ancients would absolutely have hated this idea that you could separate, you know, physical excellence and the pursuit thereof with, you know, wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom in general. And in fact, you know, Plato's academy, like part of your education was physical education, right? Plato was an athlete. And, and Aristotle's ethics often points he makes about virtue and vice are illustrated through discussing like athletics and um, because the idea is that uh the attainment of virtue just like the attainment of athletic excellence is you know sort of practice based yeah so that's another example where sports is a nice tool to explain various concepts in philosophy do you want to you want to talk about the idea of a virtue or a vice or practical wisdom often you can make uh, good analogies to sports and yeah so a lot of the philosophy of sport that's out there is at least from what i've seen it's either on like sports and athleticism in general like there might be a paper on teamwork or something mm -hmm. like that or if it focuses on a specific sport a lot of it's on european football soccer what we call soccer or i don't maybe baseball is there i don't yeah i think i've seen some stuff on like what what really makes for the MVP where the, the sport and discussed most was baseball. Yeah. 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 So but as far as we could find nothing on not, American. Not football. much. Right. Obviously, there's something. There was a philosophy and popular culture book published several years ago on on American football. One of those like handbook things. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, not too much. Um, so, yeah. So let's let's try to do some philosophy of American football. We'll make some reference to other sports along the way. But uh yeah, what, what, what's our first topic, Megan? Well, so one thing that we thought was interesting, and I guess this, I mean, this kind of could apply to any sports, but I think that we want to think about it specifically in terms of football, is this question of um, what makes for a good rule. Because as anyone who follows sports knows, um, the rules have not stayed the same since the beginning of, you know, since the birth of football or the birth of any sport. Rules change and guidelines get changed as the years go by. Presumably in an effort to make the rules better, uh, make the gameplay go better. But what is it that makes a rule better or worse in uh, maybe in, in general and in football in particular? Yeah, this is a great question. I, I, I often puzzle about this question because so, so philosophers, for instance, think a lot about normativity. Uh, but we often think about uh, moral normativity or aesthetic normativity. What's normativity? For uh, normativity is, is of or relating to aughts goodness, what you should do, what you should believe, that sort of thing, as opposed to descri descriptive stuff, yeah. merely describing. So a rule is something normative. It's, it's saying this ought to be the case. You should do this. That it's a rule gives you some reason to act. So it's interesting that in sports in general and football in particular, we have this sort of domain of normativity that's, that isn't really analyzed too much by, by philosophers. Um, so, you know, if there's some philosophers of sports out there listening, I'm sure you're like, well, I analyze it. Well, <laughs> obviously, but yeah, not your typical philosopher. Uh, but uh, you guys are special. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, you guys are great. Uh, but yeah, so rules are normative. Uh, what makes for a good rule? Like, I think this is a great question. And so so I think we want to say that there's some rhyme or reason to why uh, a rule is changed. So I've already mentioned performance enhancing drugs, right? So though they are against the rules in the NFL, they're prohibited. I, I looked up some stats on this. People still take performance-enhancing drugs uh, from time to time. There's been about 258 uh, known violations since 2001. So you know, it's about what, like 10 per year. I mean, that's you know, that's, that's not that many. That's just the ones we know of, though. 
See, the, when I think of people getting busted for, for like, doping or taking yeah. performance, I, I think of baseball. Yeah, I think of baseball, too, right? So I don't know if it's more, if it, if, so baseball cracked down on this, too. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's more of a problem in football than baseball. But back to the, the question yeah. at hand, right? That's a rule. Like, why is it a rule? So I guess like, this, this, this makes us think about what the values of the sport are. Like, why do we watch this? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we watch it merely to be entertained? Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that is the case because I think people might be really entertained by super monstrously strong people like like hitting each other, right? People who are just all on on performance enhancing well, like, drugs. We know that this is look at wrestling, yeah. professional wrestling. Yeah. So 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 people might be entertained by that, but I think there's still uh, there's still a a resistance to like embracing performance enhancing drugs, even if they are safe, right? So we one reason why you might say they shouldn't be allowed is that they're unsafe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so so that's one sort of way of addressing this question, right? What are the values we're trying to cultivate in the sport? Or the values we're trying to manifest or or what do we what do we what do we want to see? In because the- obviously, other performance enhancement measures are not only allowed but encouraged. You know, extra training, uh-huh. uh, you know, particular expensive trainers, anything you can, you know, specialty diet. Mm-hmm. All those things are performance enhancers. Yeah. Um, but there's something about it being like a substance. I guess the idea is that it's like a non-natural performance enhancement, and that. That certainly has different vibes, but I think philosophers like to think about this question of whether, you know, naturalness as a as, is is actually something to be pursued in any or 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 if it's meaningless. Yeah, because the obvious objection is that that it's merely natural is not a good a reason to commend it, and that it's unnatural is not a reason to prohibit it. Right. right. So tornadoes are natural; they're bad. Modern medicine's unnatural, but it's good. Yeah. So the fact that it's natural doesn't really give it, tell us much. The fact that it's unnatural doesn't really tell us but much. Unnatural performance enhancement disallowed, but yeah. natural performance enhancement encouraged. It, it it does seem like kind of a vibe because I mean I think we're, we're okay. Yeah, like you said, we're okay with some um, some enhancers. So you know, better yeah better diet like be, like more more uh, better personal trainers, uh, even like better equipment um, that that sort of mm-hmm. um, people are okay with. Uh, one really interesting case. Uh, here to appeal to another sport is uh, the case of uh, Olympic swimming. So in the the, the late 2000s, Na- like with the help of NASA, they developed these swimsuits that were made out of polyurethane that like allowed swimmers to just like break all the world records. Right. So anyone who used the, these suits, they were just winning and winning and winning because of what their speedo was made of. Be- because of what the speedo was made of. Yeah, it was made of particular material that that reduced like drag or whatever, increased buoyancy. What? And yeah, and they were like Michael Phelps wore the, wore this suit. Um, it took like 30 minutes to put on. You could only wear it a few amount of times. It was 500 bucks. And eventually the the governing bodies banned this. It, it, this this suit was referred to as technical doping. So here's a case where, you know, the this this thing is increasing performance. Right? Um, it's but like we're not OK with it. Right. For some there's reason. something about the performance that's not tied closely enough to the individual themselves. The effort of the individual yeah. puts into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So obviously we don't think. Effort's the only thing that matters. No one wants to watch me play basketball. I'm not that good. But uh, but so we think natural talent matters. But 
Yeah, I think I think I, I wish there were a more principled answer we can give to this question because really it just seems like, well, you know it when you see it. It's, mm. I find it like a little unsatisfactory. But I think we do watch sports because, at least in part, because we want to see, you know, what the Greeks would have called arete, mm -hmm. uh, this kind of excellence in performance. And we might think, well, you know, being super fast because you're on speed isn't really excellence of performance. Like this is entirely artificial. Yeah, I, I wonder if like our, our preferences in, in like later generations could change over time, though. So I, I think back to this old Super Nintendo game called Baseball 2020. So in Baseball 2020, robots and humans with bionic parts play baseball. Like they have like when was this game made? I don't know, 1991 or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, yeah. So back in the day. And uh, yeah, the human, the, the baseball players have jetpacks to, to, <laughs> to catch the balls and the, the fly balls in the air. So obviously it seems absurd to us now. Uh, I don't think people have the, the interest in that sort of thing. But I wonder if like 200 years, if, if our preferences would change and we'd be okay with it. I don't know how historically contingent is the stuff we're talking about now. I mean, I would watch jetpack baseball right yeah. now. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not a huge baseball Well, maybe fan. there should be like a performance-enhancing drug league and a performance-enhancing, uh, no performance-enhancing drug league, right? So oh, people nice. have proposed this. You have your enhanced league and your unenhanced league. Okay. Yeah. And let, let the market decide. Because, I mean, we kind of already do that with, with wrestling, right? There's like actual wrestling. Yeah. And then there's wrestling. Yeah. And there's there's big difference. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one rule that Megan thinks should be changed in American football. Mm -hmm. And that's the the opening coin toss. So yeah. so football is unique compared to basketball and like soccer, where the team that gets the ball is not just decided at random. So in football, in, in basketball, there is a tip off. Both guys jump up and try to hit the ball to their side. In soccer, there's something similar. Uh, in baseball, the, the away team just um, bats first. Mm -hmm. So it's not random. But in football, uh, whether you get the ball first or not is random. It's decided by a coin toss. If you win the coin toss, you can say, I want the ball first, uh, or you could decide to give it to the other team. Yeah. Uh, so Megan doesn't like this. No. Right? So, so she thinks maybe there's something wrong with with randomness uh, playing a large role in, in the sport. Yeah, obviously there's randomness inherent to every sport um, to some extent, but who gets the ball first is, so I guess statistically it doesn't have a big impact. Doesn't have a big, it's, it's basically 50-50. Yeah, some years it's like 51, 49. It's, it's very close. It really doesn't matter. The team that wins the to coin toss in the regular season game does not win more frequently than the team that doesn't. I mean, I guess you can't, no, that's so, true. So even, even if it doesn't matter statistically, you still don't like it, right? You want to see you, something wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, so, but let's say, I don't know. I, I just feel like there, it must be doing something. Uh, it just seems like too big of a part of the game to let a coin decide. Like right, there, well, there should be some kind of, you know, performance aspect of it. You should earn the right to have the ball first. Yeah. So, so regardless of what the statistics say, you just, you're something unseemly about it. You want to see them earn that, earn that ball. I would like to see them wrestle for it. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's your proposal. They'll wrestle for it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have to dive for it, I think. So we'll, we'll drop the ball from right. up high, mm -hmm. right? And then we'll get like five five dudes on each mm -hmm. side mm -hmm. and they they jump on it. Mm -hmm. And then whoever has it gets the ball. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that would be better. Yeah, I, I think everyone agrees with me. Yeah. We'll shoot the NFL an email about this. Thanks. So, all right. So here's another, this is unrelated to the rules thing, but in all of our examples, and we both do this, we just automatically default to saying, you know, guys or dudes or whatever, which is interesting i mean i guess it's natural because men's sports as everybody knows are, are way more popular than women's sports 
Um, you know, the women's U.S. soccer team had to fight to get equal pay. It was a long fight. The WNBA, I think, is probably the most successful uh, women's sport. Um, there is no women's American football. Maybe there's flag football. There is lingerie football. There's puppy ball. Puppy football. There's puppy football. But, um, yeah, so there's this question. Why, why men's sports? Why is it so much more popular than women's sports? Uh the 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 men can jump jump higher and run fast yeah yeah so maybe it's go. just that we just like seeing people be as like athletic as possible and in general obviously not in every case men can outperform women in things like running speed or jumping height things that are big parts of you know most major sports and so we just like to see the raw athleticism uh here i have some thoughts on this they are like a quarter baked but you tell me what you think mm -hmm. um so obviously men and, men's and women's bodies are objectified by culture, but in different ways, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, in general, women tend to be more objectified in this like sexual way. Women's bodies, the object of like sexual control by the dominant culture. But maybe this, there's this overlooked way in which male bodies are objectified by the culture in the realm of sport, that they're objectified for, you know, similarly for the purposes of entertainment and pleasure, you know, through other means, through non-sexual means, this sort of like situations that are dangerous where they get hurt, that are violent. Um, and it's just sort of like the, the male equivalent of physical objectification. I don't know. And so maybe people have like separated these two uh, spheres in their minds. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it's uh, calling it a quarter baked. It's generous. But I always have this thought, like, why? Why don't people watch women's sports? Um, the answer for me is that the only sport I really care about is football. And there's not women's sports. Well, would you watch a women's American football? I totally would. Yeah. I, I honestly, really, I'm not. They, I mean, they have like. Uh, I'm not blowing smoke. I really would. Women's roller derby. I mean, that could be pretty, that could be pretty uh, aggressive. You know? That's true. But it's just not. It's not football. You're not out on the on the grass, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But I would totally watch women's football if it were a thing. Yeah. As you know, I, I simply don't care about basketball yeah. or, or baseball. Or soccer. Or Definitely not soccer. Yeah. It's the last sport I'd watch. Yeah. So another thing that makes sports interesting to philosophize about is that there's actually, they're actually highly technical. Um, there's a lot of data that goes into them. And Frank, as the numbers guy, uh, for our podcast, and as someone who got into football via the numbers, kind of, by playing Madden and knowing all these stats, you have a lot of thoughts about the use of data analytics in professional sports, right? Yeah, so I think this is another instance where the, the binary between, like, the academic and the sports fan really is is a false one, because there's a lot of, like, a lot of avenues for nerdiness in sports, too, when it comes to stats and all of that, huh? Uh, but yeah, data analytics, like using uh, using computational algorithms to, and, and advanced statistics to advise uh, coaches in the games has increased markedly within the last like 10 years. So, you know, 10, 15 years ago, having a data analyst on your team was kind of oddity. Uh, now, pretty much every team has a data analyst, at least one in-house. And these these people are advising the coaches what and what to do, what sort of plays are optimal for them to to undertake. And this has led to changes in the way football is played, like really, really uh, big changes. So, for instance, 
it is now a lot more common for teams to go for it on fourth down, right? So when you got the fourth down, if you don't convert and make it a first down, you lose the ball, right? Mm-hmm. So back in the day, like actually not too long ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty uncommon for teams to go for it on fourth and one. That is, you need one yard to get a first down and keep the ball. Now it's very common for teams to go for it on fourth and one. It's like 70% of the time they, they go for it on fourth and one. Uh, when I was playing Madden, I always thought this. I'm like, look, I always convert on fourth and one. Why don't teams, you know, go for it in in, in real life? I always I always <laughs> succeed in my video game to do this. <laughs> but but this is uh, a lot of people attribute this to the data analysts. They they've crunched the numbers. They've realized that the expected points earned by going for it fourth and one just is greater than the expected points earned by by punting it or or or, or being more being more uh, conservative. So that so the data analytics analytics has led to more aggressive play on the one hand, uh, but on the other hand, it also has some people attribute this at least to it. It's also led to uh, the, a decrease in rushing the ball, right? So passing the ball, like throwing the ball, is much more common in football nowadays than it was like 10, 15 years ago. So the, and some people attribute this to the data analysts. They, the data analysts have crunched the numbers and they realize that your expected points earned if you throw the ball is higher than your expected points earned if you rush the ball. And so now we don't really see running the ball as much. There aren't really superstar running backs as much as there used to be. Uh, and this is uh, this is a, a way the game has changed. And, and some people have argued for that's changed in a negative way. Um, so, so there's a slogan when it comes to baseball, at least. I don't know if they, there's a slogan in football, but sometimes people say the nerds are ruining baseball because they, they're, they're feeding the coaches these decisions that they ought to do that are based on the stats. And it's in some ways, these decisions that are based on the stats you know, are contrary to the spirit of the game. Like it's contrary to the spirit of the game to always be trying to optimize, to always try to be the most efficient. That crowds out other values like athleticism. For instance, like the athleticism of seeing the running back just try to force his way through a bunch of guys lined up to get that extra yard, right? That was a, that was a cool display of grit and athleticism that you don't see as much anymore because the data analysts have said, hey, that doesn't maximize expected points earn. So obviously they still run the ball, but it's it's like much less common. It's 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 not as indispensable a tool as it used to be. The game is very much a passing game now. And that's that's pretty interesting, right? I mean the, the, and and you can apply this sort of thing in other domains. Like how has data analytics affected our lives in other ways and and has it crowded out other values that are are important? I mean, I think in sports like it's you're not just losing out on it's not just crowding out athleticism, but you might think that there are like these talents inherent to coaching that it's also crowding out. Like, I mean, yeah. think of the, you know, the old withered coach in like Rocky. Yeah. All right. You love it. When yeah. I Mickey. Remember. I love that. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mickey. Imagine if, you know, instead of just being like this weathered wise man whose intuitions are always right or whatever, he just like sat down at a computer and was like, well, let's see. Let's see what moves, you know, give us the highest expected utility. Well, I'm sure the data analysts think that's the future. Like, I'm sure they see themselves as one day replacing coaches. Sure. But I think, right, right. But I'm saying, like, I think if we think that there is a value like, you know, coaching intuition or something like yeah. that, then that's like also a thing that would that is getting like lost or eaten up in this new approach. Yeah, I mean, to, to put it a little bit like vaguely, <laughs> we're, we're, there's a danger that you lose the human element. Right. right? So there, that the sport might be dehumanized in, mm-hmm. in the sense that the human is out of the loop. It's not really a human endeavor anymore. 
it's sort of a battle between statisticians. That's why that's one reason why people objected to the super advanced swimsuits. Like it suddenly seemed to be the case that swimming wasn't a competition between swimmers, but between swim, of swimwear engineers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like and, and I think especially in American football, people are very interested in like the 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 human strategists. You know, like if you're a fan of a football team, you probably know not only who the coach is, but also the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. And, you know, we don't think of them as just like sitting down at a computer and like typing numbers in, but we think of them as, you know, really thinking through like the specific talents of their team, who their opponents are going to be and planning, you know, with their own talents and their own skills as an individual, uh, strategizing what the plays are going to be and that that's actually part of the game. Yeah. So humans uh, are maybe not, maybe aren't as efficient as the algorithm might be in the future, but that's okay, right? It's a human game. Right. Who cares about efficiency? That's okay. And maybe that's preferable because that's what we're watching it for. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I think I think the data analytics thing is, is interesting. Like like I said, I'm not like fully opposed to it. I think it's I think it's good that the teams are being more aggressive and going for it on for, on fourth down. Like I like to see that. I've always thought that the that the game was a little bit conservative in that respect. So I, I like to see that. But yeah, I do worry about like the technology like replacing human beings. Uh, and this is a general concern people have that applies elsewhere too. But I want so here's like a question about how this all works for you. I don't know. I, you may not know the answer, but like. I don't, it seems like it'd be actually hard to run the numbers given how different each team is. Like, I mean, doesn't something that has to come into play surely is just like the individual strengths and weaknesses of your team and your opponents. Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably stats on that too. I mean, uh, okay, so, so they are like they're they're like personalized. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I mean, they have like very advanced models. They could plug in like your team's data into this. Uh, so yeah, it it is certainly not the case that data analysts are replacing coaches anytime soon. But that does seem to be the the end result of the data revolution. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I don't know. To, to, to me. I think I'm I'm even more pessimistic about it than you are. Yeah. Like I just want to see people like in the dirt or like on the gridiron, mm -hmm. you know, with their whiteboard or their notepad, just like thinking. Yeah. You know, this to me this like the ideal is a very like Friday Night Lights kind of setup. Oh yeah, we haven't mentioned that. We love Friday Night Lights. We watched this a few a few years ago. Yeah. yeah Gosh, was it that long ago? Yeah. Yeah. No, we loved it. It's absolutely great show. A great show. Yeah. Great show. Um, but speaking of Friday Night Lights, this is actually a great segue to yeah. the next topic. Yeah. Uh, in Friday Night Lights, they're in, they're in high school. Mm -hmm. They're playing tackle football. What happens in the very first episode? Uh, some guy gets like seriously injured. Yeah. Some, yeah. The, the, the star quarterback, quarterback, the star quarterback, quarterback yeah. gets seriously injured uh, and, and partially paralyzed. Mm -hmm. So what most people know about football is that probably more than any other major sport, it is incredibly violent. People get very, very bad injuries from it. And that is not relegated to professional football, but in in all levels of, of contact football, there are very serious injuries that are very, very common. And this has been a point of extreme controversy for football. Yeah, especially recently. So I think we all have this sense that like, oh, yeah, you get hit. You get hit too many times. You're going to get brain damage or whatever. But we also watch these plays yeah. and, and, and 
it, it does just look like they bounce off of each yeah, other. I, I, that's time. right. So I, that's that's true. I think we I think we're uh, like of two minds about this. Like if, if if you were to tell someone like, hey, you know, football, you know, you play it a lot, you're gonna have brain damage. They probably wouldn't think that that was anything too controversial. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really seem like the hits are that hard on the television, uh, but they they are right. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never been tackled by a professional football player. It probably hurts a lot, and and the players are experiencing this all the time. So I did a bit of research on this issue for the podcast, and and uh, very very concerningly, it turned out to be a lot worse than I thought. So this is uh, being increasingly known that football players are particularly susceptible to a neurodegenerative disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So this is found not just in football players, but also people that play contact sports, sometimes also people in the military. Uh, so what this is, is, is that be- because of constant hits um, to the head. Repeated right? concussions. Not necessarily concussions, though. Oh. Right? So it, it can be, it's, it's, it's really, the concussion thing is a red herring. Uh, it's, it's sub-concussive hits is what it's called. Really? So even not, not even concussive hits, sub-concussive hits can lead to this, this disease. So this disease is characterized by uh, symptoms like memory loss, confusion, impaired judgment, impulse control problems, aggression, depression, suicidality, um, and eventually uh, dementia. So what, what happens just in a, in a nutshell is just a, a protein builds up around the, the brain. And you can see it in brain scans. It looks really, really, really bad. Like, I guess it's like a protective response from your body. I'm not, not, I'm not really sure, but it, the, the protein shouldn't be there. Right. right? And the protein leads to, to these problems. Uh-huh. So there's been like from pretty high profile cases of this, um, some of these problems manifesting in former football players. So one uh, one guy uh, named Aaron Hernandez uh, from uh, from several years ago, he was uh, convicted of murdering someone uh, and he hanged himself uh, in prison. His brain was uh, was analyzed by doctors at Boston University. So this is where the the CTE research center is, the main CTE research center at Boston University. And the doctor, the director there said that his brain was one of the worst she had ever seen. Oh like like and he's only 27. She'd never seen a brain look this bad um, at, at such a young age. So, yeah, this is very concerning. You can find lots of studies where they're like, BU finds CTE in nearly 92% of ex-NFL players studied. Um, so that's... Uh, 92%? Yeah, so... Right. So that's a high number. We should be we should be realistic about what this means, though. Obviously, there's a selection bias here. Right. Your brain gets donated to the to the, the CTE Research Center because your relatives think you had this disease. So it doesn't mean that and you that, died. Yeah. yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that 92 percent of people had 92 uh, uh, percent of NFL players are going to get CTE. But you can do some math here to, to determine like what the rate might be. So so, for instance, in another study, uh, 110 out of 111 NFL players' brains that were examined. Oh, by the way, you can only diagnose this after they're dead, right? So there's no, there's no, you can't diagnose it when they're alive. Why can't you see it through a scan? I don't know. You just can't. So you, you, the, so you have to, uh, you have to analyze the brain when they're dead. Um, and so in this one study, 110 out of 111 NFL players uh, were found, their brains were found to have CTE. So even if you say that, that those were all the brains that had CTE during that period, um, with all, uh, and there's no, no one else had CTE, that would still mean the rate for that period of time was 10%, whereas the general population rate 
uh, CTE is 1%. So at the very bare minimum, right, given the implausible assumption that all, all, all the CTE brains were, were gathered up in that period of time, there'd still be 10% of all players. So okay. best case scenario, playing football increases your risk by 10. Best case scenario, like one in 10 players um, or about five players in every NFL roster have this or will have this. So yeah, it's, it's just, uh, that's it incredibly just, bleak. Yeah, it just gets worse and worse, right? I mean, so it's it's not just found in NFL players. So they there was a study where they analyzed uh, athletes who had died young, right? And so uh, youth athletes, so people who had just played youth sports uh, or college football, and in forty percent of the athletes that they analyzed, their brains that they analyzed that died before thirty, they had CTE. So or, because this is a cumulative effect, yeah. The obviously, the earlier you start playing, the 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 worse off you're going to be. Also, the position you play. So there's oh, there's yeah. studies. So obviously, if you're a lineman, right, you're getting hit all the time. So if you're a quarterback, you're probably yeah, okay. So it's not as bad for a quarterback, but it is really bad for for a lineman, like like markedly worse. So yeah, this is a huge a huge problem. Um, it's really a lot worse than than I had thought. One might wonder, what's the NFL doing about this? Uh, have they acknowledged this? So they have acknowledged it in courts, uh, but the, they haven't done anything about it, at least according to uh, the director of the CTE Center. So she says the NFL hasn't done anything substantive about it. So they have tried to do some things, but it, it just doesn't seem like there's really anything you can do because it's not about concussions. Right? The NFL is focusing on concussions. It's not about concussions. It's about, it's about just the sheer accumulation of force on your body and there's no helmets the you can make where like your your head feels nothing yeah they're trying to make better helmets but they're just it, it really just seems like it's part of the game and and you might and you might say well yeah it is part of the game like back in the day you know, they used to have this uh, segment on espn called jacked up where they'd show the hardest hits <laughs> during during the week uh they, they quietly got rid of that after all the concussions stuff came out didn't they all didn't like in really really early football I may be misremembering this, but I feel like I remember them having like, they didn't even have hard helmets. Yeah, they definitely did not. Right? Okay. They definitely did not. Like, the helmets they have now are are much more advanced well, than they helmets. Just, than... Like, they, they just look like little hoods or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's really bad. I mean, like, yeah, it's super bad. Like it's, and it's like re realistically, the, the percentage of players that have or gonna, are going to have CT is higher than 10%. I've seen some reasonable estimates as being like 20 to 30%. Like probably something like the the number that was seen in that one study of the the youth the youth athletes forty percent of athletes who died before thirty had had CTE. So the dark side of Friday Night Lights yeah. is that these these kids are you know in some cases like fourteen yeah. and they're already you know and obviously all of their goal is to go play football in college and yeah. professional football and and if they succeed then they'll be at the super high risk for all of these terrible health effects and psychological effects and. Uh, so we were just talking about this the other day between uh, amongst ourselves, and mm -hmm. uh, and we were talking about whether uh, we would we would want to let our kids play like football if they wanted to. Yeah, no, like I I think definitely not. I think and 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 there, there have been some high profile athletes that have said this same thing. So LeBron James, for instance, was asked this in 2014, and he said. No football in my house. Wow! Not until they're in high school, Be because of the health problem, the health issues. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's. I mean, so it, it, it isn't. I mean, I'm looking at the chart here. It's not that bad for kids that play high school. Like, so if you if you're a lineman and you play four years of high school, you quadruple your risk of getting CTE compared to someone that plays youth football for two years. Right. So it's not. You know, it's not terrible. Um, if you're if you're a lineman that plays professionally for six years after going through high school and college, that is a hundred nine. 
uh, times increase. So if you stop after high school, you stop after high school, it's not that bad. I, yeah, I guess right, but, but yeah, it's you, still pretty concerning. If you start in high school and go on, that's really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think probably the majority of of really successful professional football players. I don't, I don't know if this is true, but it seems like probably they would have started in high school. Yeah, definitely, because it's so, it's so competitive. Like you have to start training early. There are some instances of players switching sports uh, and not playing football in <laughs> college, or whatever. it's pretty rare though. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I definitely would not. It's just not worth the risk. There's lots of other sports. Youths can play um, that are just comparatively less risky. Lots of other sports they can play to cultivate the virtues that sports allow for and uh, and that provide them independence and that don't, you know, quadruple their risk of getting CTE. So if we so let's say that legislation was passed on this and we 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 banned tackle football for people under 18 for minors. How I mean, do you think that that would like kill football? I don't think so. I, th- I think. I think the, I think the game would evolve. I don't know. I mean, because I, I think I do think it's possible to transfer. Yeah. To just kind of start out. Yeah, start later. And get. Yeah, I think good. so. Yeah, I think so. Maybe if you could do some other kind of training, like just make sure they know the game really well mm-hmm. or something. Well, one, one interesting article I found in my research here is uh, it was arguing that uh, OSHA should get involved here. I mean, this is an interesting sort of argument. I mean, the NFL players are employees. Uh, they, they're workers. Uh, their workplace is pretty dangerous, right? Like, shouldn't OSHA be involved here? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> on one hand, it's horrifying. Obviously, I'm having some, um, emo- I don't even want to say cognitive dissonance because I don't think any any part of me is like, okay with that rationally although of course i still in my heart i still carry a torch for yeah i mean so there's another question to ask here right is is, is it is it wrong knowing (laughs) this is it wrong for us to watch football right i mean like what does do do these numbers give us any reason to change our behavior Mm -hmm. right yeah and i don't know you don't want to know i don't want to (laughs) know yeah precisely so i guess Here's the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about before we get into our our final topic. I think it's a good bridging topic yeah. here, which is the the topic of teams. Mm. So Frank and I were having a conversation the other night um, about it was when the Chiefs were losing. I was I was really upset, and he um yeah he was being he was being nice, but I could tell he didn't really fully understand the 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 depths of my rage. And or heartbreak, I guess, is more like it. But I, I said I failed in my husbandly duty to be as upset as Megan well, was. No, no, it was just that you did, you couldn't you couldn't empathize because you hadn't maybe had. Uh, well, at least what I accused him of is, you know, not ever really truly being a fan of a team rather than just a fan of football in general, which I think he admitted was right. Yeah. Well, the, the line you uttered was. Uh, you're not a fan of any team. You just admire them. Oh, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's pretty fair. Yeah. Right, right. Because to be a fan of a team, I think, means, you know, wanting to watch them and be loyal to them, even when there really is nothing to admire about them. As yeah. everyone who's been a fan of the Kansas City Royals knows, it's hard to be a fan of the Royals. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. Um, but anyway, that's baseball. But But the topic of teams is interesting, especially when it comes to college football. Because, or sorry, not college football, professional football. In college, you have pretty clear delineation on on what a team is. It's just the football team associated with the university, with the particular college. In high school, same thing. It's just the team that is at the high school. With professional teams, it's it's a little bit different. There are 
tied to a city, but not indefinitely, right? Teams can move. The Rams moved from St. Louis to LA. Probably many other teams have moved that I can't think of examples right now. Obviously, their roster completely changes. Like, ship of Thessius, every piece is replaced every, you know, 10 years at least. So what is it that makes a professional team a team that keeps it the same team? And what is it that makes people attached to it given that it can change in all these seemingly really essential ways? Yeah, great question. Kind of like a, a metaphysical question of identity thing going on here. This, this yeah. reminds me of, of a particularly puzzling case that I used to think about it as a, as a youth. So uh, this involves the Cleveland Browns. I think this case should be a lot more well-known among philosophers because it's, it's another sort of interesting puzzle where you can ask questions about identity over time. So here's the setup, right? So the Browns, very old team. Uh, they've been around since like the 50s or something like that. Uh, in 1995, their owner decided he wanted to leave Cleveland, right? Leave Cleveland and go to Baltimore and rename the Browns the Ravens, right? So he, he did this. This was very controversial. This doesn't happen very often where a storied team leaves their city and changes their name, right? And then becomes something completely different. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about this, but the, the league allowed it, provided that the, the, the owner allowed a new Browns team to sprout up in Cleveland. So he could take his Browns, bring them to Baltimore, name them the Ravens, and then a new a new team would sprout up a couple so of years later. So it's literally a ship of festivals. It, it, it's something like that, right? So so I've always so he so I've always thought about this, right? What in 1999 who, when the when the, the, the new Browns team was in Cleveland, like where the fans who, go? Who's the real Browns, right? Yeah, and where the fans go? Where the fans go? Yeah. And, in fact, there was a. I thought about this question because when I was young, I had a. Uh, we owned a board game that was like NFL Monopoly, and the Browns weren't on there, but the Ravens were. So I I thought to myself, oh, that's just the Browns, mm -hmm. right? The Ravens. Oh, that, that that new team. That's just the Browns. Um, that's I literally thought that. Uh, but now, like, I don't know, like, who is the Browns? Right? Is it is it the expansion team, this, the team that arose with completely new roster, completely new owner in 1999? Or is it the team that's now called the Ravens? I mean, if you, if you look who owns the Ravens now, there's a there's an unbroken line between other owners like that guy bought it from that person and that person bought it from that person. That person bought it from that person <laughs> going all the way back um, to you know the 40s or whatever. So, yeah, this is an interesting little metaphysical puzzle, right? Um, there has yeah. to be, like, so this does not obviously answer the question. But there must be data on, like, where fans actually went. I looked on Reddit, you know, um, sure. very scientific Research. source. Research. And uh, it seems like most people regarded the the... the the, the Browns is the Browns. Right? They didn't think the Ravens were really the Browns, although some people did. And here's an interesting, uh, interesting argument. Uh, the Browns are good. <laughs> the, the, the new Browns are bad. So that's not the Browns. And, and in fact, like the Ravens are one of the most successful teams like ever, like since the expansion. They've like won. Yeah. They're like the be like the third best winning percentage uh, since they've come to exist. And the Browns have been really bad ever since this happened. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you're a Browns fan, right, what do you think? Is it, are you, do you think the Ravens are really the Browns? So the new Browns are like the, the accursed Frankenstein homunculus fake Browns. Yeah, I, I, I lean toward that view. I think, I think according to the correct theory of you know, reference, mm -hmm. philosophical theory of reference, the Ravens are really the Browns. And the Browns, mm -hmm. that team that calls them the Browns, yeah. they're a pseudo Browns. They're fake Browns. So, so that'd be something like a causal theory of reference, yeah, right? So, and something like that. There's an unbroken causal yeah. chain. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas in the case of the New Browns, there's not. You know, for instance, the, the Titans, you know, my favorite team as a youth, they used to be called, they used to be the Houston Oilers, right? Mm-hmm. We don't pretend that they're a new team. You know, that's just, that's just, that's just the team now. They changed their name. They changed their name. They changed the location. The Titans used to be the Oilers. Mm-hmm. The Ravens used to be the Browns. That team in Cleveland is a fake team. Wow. So they're just an imposter team. Yeah, I think so. That's absolutely incredible. So, so most people, but, but you said most fans of the old Browns went with the new Browns. So it seems like maybe there's something about just like, I don't want to say slogan, but just, I mean, I do think it had most more to do with the name or the city. So if the team that had moved had stayed the Browns and the new team that sprung up in Cleveland had been the Ravens, do you think the outcome would have been different? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question, right? So let's just suppose I'm wrong and the people in Cleveland who who are Browns fans uh, are correct. Like, why are they correct? You might think it's just a conventional matter, just a matter of convention. But maybe it just has to do with the name and the logo and the team. You know, they're all there. The Ravens are a different team. You already have the 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 merch. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I wish... I, I it might I, be the city. I mean, people are loyal to teams in their city often. We got to find a philosopher who's a Browns fan to talk to about this. Ben. Ben Schwann. Ben Schwann. Yeah. We should send this to him. Yeah. <laughs> the only one I know, yeah. maybe the only Browns fan I know in general, probably. Yeah, it's, been, it's been rough for the Browns. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I think that this is a good segue into our final topic when talking about teams, because the ultimate showdown between the top two teams in professional football, as everybody knows, is the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the Super Bowl is a really, really interesting, I think even just like sociologically interesting event in that it's i mean it's it's the most watched thing on television in in america right i would say so i mean i looked up the numbers uh every year it's around like 110 million 115 million people watch this yeah it's a lot it's probably more than any other thing on television uh the thing that the most people watch and the clues to this is that every single person wants to advertise during the super bowl Mm -hmm. because most people in america are watching it and and it's this huge thing Frank was talking about the Super Bowl as kind of being, uh, I think he he was speaking fondly of it as a kind of rare American, I don't know, ritual. Yeah, I think I think it's cool that 100 million people watch the same thing every year. I mean, culture is increasingly fragmented into niche subcultures. Mm-hmm. You can see this with you know tastes in music. Uh, of course, there's the Swifties, but there's a lot of like niche subcultures when it comes to genres social media social media too million social medias now yeah and so like things are increasingly fragmented and 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 there's very few things that like most of the country uh watches or consumes mm-hmm. so i like that there's a, a a thing that we can all point to and be like oh did you see the super bowl you know and maybe that's maybe that's something to commend taylor swift to bring this back to you know, we talked about earlier, right? Uh, maybe it's good that so many people like Taylor Swift. There's something everyone can get on board with. I don't know. Well, because pe- so many people I know who do not like football still watch the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and have like Super Bowl parties and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's cool. I think, it, you know, rituals are cool. They bind communities together. Um, rituals are to- a common topic in ancient Chinese philosophy. Confucianism in particular emphasizes ritual. And yeah, I think... I yeah, think- Confucius thinks that rituals are are like an essential aspect yeah. of of um moral virtue right it's, it's not it's yes. not just, it's not just mere custom like ritual is ethically inflected it's a it's a it's a kind of virtue mm-hmm. and yeah it's 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 an it's a, a it's an occasion to express various attitudes you can 
Uh, you can express attitudes of friendliness and hospitality during the Super Bowl when you have your Super Bowl party. Uh, so yeah, I like I like the Super Bowl because it's a it's a it's a cool ritual. You know, rituals are ethically important, and I hope it retains its prominence. Uh, I don't really care for all the advertisement, though. I hate being advertised that, but that's neither. Here's the dark side of the Super Bowl, of yeah. course. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of sort of darker uses of money and people taking advantage of the extreme popularity of it for a lot of um, unsavory purposes. So obviously, you know, the Super Bowl isn't a big, you know, jar of roses. Is that a, is that an idiom? No, I'm going to say no. Jar- <laughs> I guess you wouldn't put roses. Whatever. There's Bed of roses. Bed of roses. You, roses go on the bed, not the jar. Okay. So it's not a bed of roses. Um, there, There is certainly a dark side to the Super Bowl, especially as it's become a, a, a thing that that more and more money is dependent upon. But but right, I think like I think I agree with Frank that there are so many things that are so few things, almost nothing anymore that most of America just stops and does um, that. This has a nice now we I mean, now if we were thinking like a Confucian, we might wonder what values this particular ritual is instilling. Are some they, good, maybe some, some good. maybe some bad. Yeah, some like team spirit, you know, communal uh, solidarity, yeah. things like that. Uh, maybe also overconsumption. So maybe some bad, some bad values as well. But um, I'm a big fan of the Super Bowl. I uh, I was not a fan for a while when there was kind of this unholy monopoly on it by the Patriots. But now that we've broken that curse, it's a really fun game. Although, I don't know, you might have ruined football for me forever. Like eventually, I just I, I worry that this knowledge of the injuries is going to eat away and my ability to enjoy it slowly over over many years. Knowledge is a dangerous thing. Absolutely, it is. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please uh, join us for our next episode, which will be episode 13 on near-death experiences. <laughs>